Nails are big business in a city like New York. You can't walk a block without seeing a place to get a mani or a pedi, but the industry has come under fire in recent years. Hi, I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape. Three years ago, New York Times staff reporter Sarah Neer uncovered big problems in the nail salon industry. Her expose shined a light on labor violations and poor health conditions that led to significant change. Sarah joins me now on the phone to look back on her series and talk about where we are three years later. Sarah, thanks for joining me. A pleasure. So it's three years, three years since your investigation into nail salons appeared in the New York Times. How much has changed in the last three years for the industry? Really interestingly, the change has come in waves. Initially, after my story came out, there was a very swift reaction on the part of the governor, which was to create emergency measures to protect workers from this endemic exploitation. Six months down the line, uh, those became law, as well as a bunch of procedural changes in how women are licensed. I say women because it is largely women in the industry, but it's men and women. And that actually really had a astounding effect in protecting a lot of these workers from exploitation by making it easier for them to access the means by which they could empower themselves by being licensed workers. And then another change came down the line, which to me was actually one of the most exciting. Uh, New York State passed a law that it is the first state in the nation to require mandatory ventilation for nail salons. Why is that important? It's not just a noxious smell. In fact, some of the same chemicals that in other countries are banned from use in cosmetics are used prevalently in nail salons. So getting those chemicals out and making breathing more easy is really essential. And no state has done it except uh, New York. How does that make you feel as a journalist that your investigation led to such swift action? You can't have that as your goal when you're writing that. You have to really have just telling the story. Otherwise, you risk becoming an advocate or an activist, and your journalism could be compromised. None of that was my goal. Through my year of reporting, through the over 250 manicurists I interviewed uh, and people in the industry I interviewed, I really became compelled by telling the story of this incredible wrong that was being done on a lot of fronts, from labor exploitation to endemic racism that led the women to be paid differently and to the chemical component. That was my goal. When it came out, I actually had an anxiety that people would just sort of shake their heads and cluck their tongues, that, oh, you know, what what a shame. And it might be minimized because it was the beauty industry or because it was women or because it was immigrants who are voiceless largely. And yet this tremendous response was incredibly gratifying. It's mind-blowing. But again, it wasn't my goal telling the story was. What prompted you to look into this industry in the first place? I got a pedicure on my birthday, now going on seven years ago, at this very unusual salon in uh, Manhattan, a 24-hour salon. And it was about 10 a.m., and I was talking to the pedicurist, and I said, it's so crazy to me. Uh, Who comes to a 24-hour salon? You know, who even works the night shift? And she said, oh, I work the night shift. And I, I said, what do you mean you work the night shift? It's daytime. She said, I work the day shift and the night shift. And she revealed that she works 24 hours a day, six days a week. She sleeps in a barracks above the salon. When people come in for those night treatments, they shake her awake, and she comes down and does them. Her seventh day, she goes home to her bed's apartment in Flushing, Queens, and sleeps for 24 hours. That's all I knew, was that this one salon had something wildly 
sweatshop-like going on. I told my bosses, and they said, if you want to do that story, you'd have to embed in the salon. You know, you'd have to be there 24 hours a day, and you just can't tell it right. I was a freelancer at the time, actually. They said, it'll impinge on your ability to make money because I'll be spending so much time to tell that story right. So I put it in my back pocket, and that editor was exactly correct. I was furious, <laughs> but she was exactly correct. When I was finally staffed, I pitched an idea for, to write about that one salon. And my editor, Wendell Jameson, the Metro editor, said, why don't you take a month and see if it's bigger than the one salon? And it turns out it was much, much bigger. As you mentioned, many of these individuals are immigrants, some of them, if not many of them, undocumented, correct? Mm-hmm. How hard was it for you to win their trust? When I tell you I spoke to about 250 people in the industry, well, 150, 125 of those manicurists, that is not representative of how many people I approached. I was out at these pickup spots in Flushing where the women get picked up and ferried to salons outside of New York City where they'll stay in a barracks for maybe weeks or even a month. And every morning with a crew of six incredible translators asking these people if they would speak to me. We were rejected an incredible amount of times, but the people who did want to tell their stories, and it was really a tremendous amount of them in the end, uh, proportionally, because everybody wants to be seen and everybody wants to be heard. And this act of a manicure, it's called in academia, intimate labor. You know, you're holding hands with someone, you're looking into their eyes, and we weren't really seeing them. And even with these huge hurdles of being undocumented, being very anxious, the, the, the language barrier. Many people just wanted to tell their story and be seen. Did you work with uh, an interpreter? Yes, six of them, two in each language, which was Spanish, Korean, and Chinese. Now, this investigation was not without controversy. You received pushback from some nail salon owners. They protested outside the New York Times, some saying that your investigation went too far in generalizing about an entire industry. How did you handle that criticism? It was very interesting. There were several protests, actually, and they took a strangely personal bent. They carried pictures of my face with my eyes X'd out, which uh, other people in this industry said they hadn't really seen. It was uh, very strange. And I handled it by being watertight with my facts. When the Times gets criticized that it got something wrong, we don't just dig in our heels and say, no, we didn't. You actually have an internal process, almost like a review, a tribunal. And they say, people are saying X about your story. Can you show me what you got? And Actually, in my anxiety, this being my first ever one-year-long investigation, I had gone over the top with detail, with documentation, and I'm so glad I did because the story, one of my proudest moments, is despite that tremendous pushback, it doesn't have a single correction, and that was really satisfying. So I think the facts speak for themselves. Following up to my story, these government investigations corroborated it entirely. The city found $2 million owed to 652 workers following my story. And really, in the era of people claiming fake news and whatever they like when a story doesn't fit their narrative, the facts really have to stand for themselves. And they did with this story, and I was very proud of that. What would you say was the greatest lesson you learned in doing this investigation in particular? Anything? Greatest lesson? Oh, I haven't got that question before. So good. The greatest lesson, the voiceless among us have a voice. They 
aren't telling their story because they can't, and it is an honor to be a conduit for their voices. And just because someone hasn't spoken up doesn't mean they don't have a story to tell and that there's value and merit and worth in that. And listening to these women who had never been heard from before was just the honor of a lifetime. And if it made a difference, that's something that's their gift to me. Now, as you mentioned, you're a journalist, not an advocate. But that said, do you feel the pressure to keep following the story to make sure that nail salons are abiding by the law, that those ventilation systems are going in? I would push back on one thing you said to make sure. It is a journalist's duty to report on stories of importance. If people weren't following the rules, that would be a story of importance. Saying make sure implies that I have some sense of right and wrong and, and what should be being sure, done. good point. But, but when people are not following the law, there's usually a story in it. And so, yes, following up on a, a story is of deep importance. And look, when there are wrongdoers and the light is turned off them, the bright light of a media spotlight or a government investigation, often they creep back out of the shadows. And so it is journalism's job to keep holding that light on them. That says, what does breaking a story like this mean for a journalist's career like yours? Did it make a difference for you in that regard? I guess so. That's a, that's a hard question. You can't think of glory and career. It did end up having a tremendous effect. It was nominated for a Pulitzer. Those are all delightful, gratifying things. But I'm just happy telling stories. I was in the belly of a 747 with nine horses flying over the Atlantic this week. And that's not going to get me any awards, but that's awesome. And people want to know about that. So as long as I can keep telling stories, I think that's the greatest reward. And that sounds maybe just scoffably humble, (laughs) but I love this job. It's awesome. (laughs) Great. Sarah, anything else you would like to add about three years later after this investigation? Just keep listening. People asked me, actually, over 1,100 people, when that story came out, sent me emails asking, where can I go? What's the good salon? And my answer I hadn't found it in my year of investigation. And my answer would be places that are transparent. If you're not doing any wrong, you have nothing to hide. Ask people in any industry, what do you pay your workers? Can I see if you follow the rules? Do you have gloves? Do you have ventilation? An industry or a person that is doing no wrong has nothing to protest about and nothing to hide. And that said, what would your recommendation be for an aspiring journalist to want to go after the truth, uncover things that are wrong? Listen, just listen. How many times has someone gotten a pedicure or haircut and looked at their phone and tuned the human being out? How many times have you walked by some injustice and popped in your iPhone headphones? That is behavior that's inimical to the reporting process. It's all about listening and knowing that everybody has worth and everybody has a story. Sarah, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. This was a delight. Sarah Neer is a staff reporter at the New York Times. Meditation is not necessarily a word that comes to mind when you think manicure, but Amy Ling Lin of Sunday's Nail Studio in Manhattan wants to bring more zen into getting your nails done, along with a more non-toxic environment for workers and clients. Amy Ling Lin joins me now on the phone. Amy, thanks for taking the time. Oh, thank you so much. So let's talk about Sundays. What's the mission behind your operation? So I 
started Sundays with the mission that I want to um, making this industry greener, and I want to change the stereotype of the nail salon. I think people have this perception of nail salons like being rushy. Um, people work there don't speak English. Oh, just like certain image or smelly, honest things. And then I want to create something that telling people that we can be different. And then actually it's a place that you can come over here to relax. You have said that nail care is often about much more than a manicure. Yes, yes. I firmly believe that nail care is not just get your nail painted to look good. I think it's so much more. So I was in the nail industry since 2012, and I went to nail school in 2011. And then I started a salon, and then just a corner salon. And then everything from nail specialists or from my teacher. And I just try everything. Like, I learn a lot of things from the client. Like, I have a client came over, and I just being very friendly. So I was trying to offer magazines. I tried to offer water or initiate a conversation with her. And she told me, she's like, I actually have a newborn kid at home. This is my time. Like, I don't want to read any magazine. I don't want to talk to anyone. I just want to, like, zoom out, not thinking about anything. And this is, like, perfect space. And I and I noticed that there are a lot of clients that have the same mentality. I noticed that some clients sometimes come to the nail salon, they don't barely, they don't get the nail painted. I think it's a moment for them to feel recharged or just to escape whatever they are doing in the moment. So I think that gives me some inspirations to create a space that, that provides this kind of environment, like very warm, friendly, a homey environment for our client to stay there. So you're putting an emphasis on meditation, right? Yes. So what's involved in a meditation manicure? So while a client getting their nail done, so we will consult with client first, um, how you feel today, and then we prepare three different kinds of essential oil, and based on the mood, if you feel like a tire, we might suggest orange citrix to make you feel more uplifting. Uh, then we will consult client how would you like to meditate today, and then we have different lens of meditation. Uh, we work with this app called Inkscape. Uh, we have eight minutes meditation, doing focus. We have a relaxation, visualization. So based on how you feel today, so you will put on a headset um, once we finish the consultation, and then you can just close your eye, and then we will do our services, and then you can just zoom now and then doing the meditation. Because I feel the... Um, the whole position while you're getting your manicure done is just perfect because you have your feet grounded on the floor and then your back just uplift and then you have your hand um, on the table and then you cannot move that much because we are doing manicure on, on your hand so normally client doesn't move a lot. So I think it's a perfect combination. And then also it's like a very New York thing. I think people on a trip a lot and then I thought, would be perfect for someone who never started meditation. Because people always tell me, 
I don't have time for meditation. I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I don't think I can sit there for 25 minutes doing meditation. But if you are doing manicure, you do it, you definitely need to sit there for 25 minutes at least. So why not just using this time to help yourself feel more relaxed? So what are you hearing in your headphones while you're getting your manicure? So we started with different, uh, we started with music. Uh, the music just helped clients relax, um, feel like outdoor. So because we started with like people working in the office. So I thought about um, maybe if we work indoor for so long, you might want to like feel like you're outdoor. So we were like bird songs on us, like you feel like you are in the park. And then gradually we start doing more of the guided meditation. So the guided meditation to help clients feel like more relaxed or if this is a, this is like I was consulting with a client. Someone told me that sometimes in the afternoon you feel a little bit tired or you feel like you might not have the best day. And then they were like, do you have any suggestions? So I would suggest getting certain type of meditation that you just, um, you're just checking with yourself and to see if um, am I overreact. It just how's your emotion right now? How's how's now? How you feel right now? So um, right now we we are st- start offering this type of meditation that is just checking in with yourself. Have you ever um, had anyone fall asleep during a manicure? Uh, if they use that during a pedicure, yes. <laughs> during a pedicure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's too comfortable. <laughs> it's way too comfortable. Then yeah, I fell asleep. Yeah. You mentioned, Amy, that you first worked in the industry before owning your own salon. What yes. did you do specifically in those early days? Um, I was a salon owner, so I started, I never had any experience, so I learned everything from the um, nail specialist. I was in the luxury goods, so I was like, oh, I can provide great customer service um, in the fashion industry to the nail salon. So you went straight into ownership. You never worked yourself in a salon. I didn't. Gotcha. I didn't, yeah. Now, Amy, you created a line, a whole line of chemical and cruelty-free lotions, right? Yes. We are in the process. So in the salon, we're using our own lotion. Um, We produce that ourselves. And then also our non-toxic vegan uh, nail polish to just ensure the whole experience is non-toxic. Because it's very important for client. If anyone need to do meditation in a studio, has to make sure that studio smell like it smells good. Doesn't have chemicals around there. Otherwise, it's just that meditation doesn't work. Was this at all also in response to a lot of what we've heard about the nail salon industry and how dangerous chemicals can be? Yes, yes. Um, I started in 2012, and then gradually I started noticing there's a lot of chemicals in this industry. Um, foundation, which has like six, seven preservatives in the lotion, which can last for 10 years. Uh, the nail polish, which has all this chemical, then can affect women's hormone. So I just decided I'm going to develop this safer and greener product for our clients, even like pregnant women or little kids can use it. Because right now, all these kids is like 
seven years old, eight years old, and they would come to salons to get nail, nails done. Um, so I feel like it's very important to have a green product for our clients. Were you surprised, Amy, by the New York Times investigation three years ago that looked into issues in the nail salon industry, issues related to how workers were being treated and about hazardous conditions? Not necessarily surprised. I think it's definitely a great thing. It happens. I think I really appreciate they spend so much time to uh, investigate the whole thing. And then um, I think it helped shape the whole industry. And people stop paying attention. At least clients stop paying attention. And then it definitely helped us uh, a lot to launch our product line. Um, I just wish that maybe at that time, because the whole article is from a nail specialist perspective, um, I would think it would be great. Maybe they write a lot, another follow-up about from salon owners perspective, like why things happen. I'm pretty sure everybody probably have a different view of points. And then I would be very curious about nail, like honest motivations. What's why you didn't change your, why you treat the employee like this way. When you had the idea to make non-toxic nail products, mm-hmm. where did you look first to make your idea a reality? I look into crisis. <laughs> so I put on the ads. I was asking, can someone help me? Because I spent a lot of a few months study um, chemical on the things, and then I was I come to a point I said I need help. So I was asking if anyone um, crisis. I tried to hire a chemist in the beauty um, industry can help me formulate this. So I was lucky to get this lady who is very passionate about Green Beauty, to join our team to help. Um, that's the first step. Then I will start talking to a different, different people who have done that before to get some advice as well. What is one change, Amy, that you would like to see happen widespread in nail salons? I would love to see that people stop paying attention to the product they use, um, just as, New York Times article mentioned about there are a lot of toxic chemicals in the salon. However, a lot of salon owners doesn't know. And then salon owner, I was a salon owner before, so I was very terrified to know that. Um, and then also nail specialists, which I've been working with them for a long time, that we are the highest, we have like the highest risk to expose to these chemicals. Think about if it's like 500 clients or 50 clients per week. A client only go, goes to salons, one client only goes to salons once a week. So we have like 500 times more than the regular client to expose to those chemicals. So I think salon owners definitely should be very, very careful about any product they, they carry. That's like something I really hope that it can be changed soon. Amy, thanks so much for your time. Okay, thank you so much, George. Amy Ling Lin is the owner of Sundays in Manhattan. She has two locations. More info at dearsundays.com. Now over to the Bronx, where rapper Cardi B gets her nails done. 
can fuck with me if you wanted to. These expensive, these is red bottoms, these is bloody shoes. And if you've never seen her nails, they are a sight to behold. Cityscape producer Caroline Rotante talked with the woman behind those nails. Jenny Boye of Jenny's Spa is known as the queen of bling for her over-the-top nail creations. My name is Jenny Boye and I'm at Jenny's Spa. How long have you had this Bronx Fordham Road location? Uh, I have the Bronx location is like about one year and a half. And I also have um, another salon in Harlem for 17 years. How did you learn? Where did you learn to do nails? I learned everything by myself. And I just pick it up. And if the customer wants something, they, they just say, oh, do you? And I, I just do. I never think about what I'm going to do. It's, I follow people's personality. Where do you get a lot of your inspiration from? The trends, fashion, colors? I get... In the beginning, I do the bling I get from the Japan. You know, the, the book from Japan is the big bling. And then I just inspire from Japan. Your title is the bling queen, correct? Can you tell me about that and how you've gotten that title? Oh, um, they call me Jenny Queen of Bling. So all my pay is about bling. And everybody come around the world about my bling. And then they, every time I do their nail, they're so exciting. And, you know, sometimes they're unhappy from outside and they come to me after I've done the nail. I, they say I change their, the day, you know, they make the day. How much do you credit your brand, like, exploding from social media and your Instagram presence? I get a lot of, you know, business and, you know, sometimes... But, you know, some people scare, like, to come to me because they think, oh, see prices. But actually, I charge the same thing, like, from, from before. As long, you know, if, you know the bling is expensive, and I use real Sovaski. I don't use fake stone. You have such a personal connection with your clients. One in particular, Cardi B started coming to you to get her nails done. Can you tell me about your relationship? When I started doing her nail like five years ago, and first time she came, and one of my workers do her nail, and second time she come, and she, she just sit on the, on the bench and ask my, hus- uh, my husband, ask her, may I have you? And she say, oh, I, want, I really want Jenny to do my nail, but I don't think she can do. She booked because I don't have appointment. And that time I have a space, so I take her, and that's why I do her nails in that day until now. She, 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 so, she loves it so much. And every time she don't not happy from outside, and after I finish her bling, uh, her nails, she's so exciting. She say, oh, thank you so much, Jenny. You make my day. There's something to be said about your nails as like a form of expression. And right. do all of your clients know what they want coming in? Uh, some, some of them, they come in, they know what they do. And some of them, they come in, they don't know what they do. They say, Jenny, do you? Because I trust you. I followed you like two, three years already, you know, but I never had a chance to come to you. And I do them, and then they're so happy. They hug me. You know, make me feel so good, like... People appreciate my work. I feel good. There's been a real push toward like care for the workers as well as the clients. How important is that to you here at the salon? Uh, it's really important to me. Like I care about my worker also. And my salon, I treat my worker just like my family. And sometimes, birthday, we buy cake and we party together, you know.
and I care about my client. I try my best to make my client happy. Even some people, they come, they don't have enough money. Sometimes they tell me, oh, Jenny, I'm missing $20. I say, it's okay, don't worry. And then, you know, sometimes I let people go to ATM and they never come back. And sometimes they, they want to pay me through PayPal or something. And then they say, oh, my internet not working. And I let them go, and they never come back either. I lose a lot of money, honestly, but I believe karma, so I'm not really care. You said that you were just in Atlanta doing a nail training. How much do you train other nail technicians to do your art? You know, everybody want to learn, especially my bling secret. They say, oh my God, how come your bling lasts like four or five weeks? And every time they do, it's only last two, three days. And so I have used my nail, my gel, like Jenny's Secret. And I also have my line for Jenny's Secret. Do you sell that online? And do, would you sell it to other salons? Um, I sell in, uh, you know, one nail supply in California called uh, Sky, at Skyline Nail Supply. They, she, he helped me because nobody want to help me for that because it's new. So I, I already test for six months, so I'm sure it's really good. Then I sell. Is there one trend right now that a lot of customers are asking and that you like to do? Uh, the trend right now is about bling. Everybody come, even lawyer, even office people, even like the people work in Wall Street, they, they want their nail done, even celebrity, they interesting with the bling now. Jenny, thank you so much for talking with me. You're welcome. Thank you so much for coming. Jenny Boy is the owner of Jenny's Spa. She talked with Cityscape producer Caroline Rotante. Jenny has two locations, one in the Bronx and one in Harlem. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. My thanks to producer Caroline Rotante, and thank you so much for listening.